I'm podcaster and journalist Emma Gunnar-Wardner, although you can call me Emma Guns. And in these podcast conversations, I want to get to the bottom of those topics that can feel confusing and bamboozling. And you simply cannot have failed to notice that one of the big topics in health right now is ultra-processed food. And not just that, but if you read every clickbait headline, how your food choices, especially if you lean on anything that might be labelled convenience, could be doing you some real harm. So what's the truth? In this episode, registered nutritionist Rob Hobson is going to help us navigate what all of this means so we don't feel worried the next time we're in the supermarket. Because we just don't know what the real situation is, what the real landscape looks like in terms of disease. Like you said, at what point does it become particularly harmful? You know, with that UPF research, there seems to be um, an incremental risk of disease that goes with how much you eat, but we still don't, we still don't really know. So the ultra processed foods are, you could generally think of them as foods that contain five or more ingredients, generally long ingredient lists. They're foods that you couldn't recreate in your kitchen because they contain um, ingredients that are maybe synthesized in a lab or ingredients you just don't recognize, you know, the the emulsifiers, the preservatives, the, the thickeners, the bulking agents, all that kind of stuff. You feel good when you know that you're doing not the right thing, but when you're doing things moving in the right direction, you know, when you are starting to cook a few meals from scratch, you know, it doesn't feel great when you're eating foods that are high in salt, high in sugar, you start to develop a taste for those foods and then it becomes, you know, not a need for those foods, that sounds a bit dramatic, but you start to want more of those foods. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Now then, the latest research shows that one in seven of us across the globe is addicted to ultra-processed foods, UFPs moving forward, or actually, no, UPFs moving forward, along with one in eight children. It's a topic I expect we're going to hear more and more about in 2024. But are we in a bit of a shutting the stable door after the horse has bolted situation when it comes to all things ultra-processed? And the reason I ask this is because processed and ultra-processed foods are nothing new. It's perhaps their dangers that are now becoming more apparent. And this is why I have asked registered nutritionist Rob Hodgson to join me on the podcast because you are undoubtedly going to see more warning labels on food, more scaremongering about the food you feed yourself and your family. And this is one of those topics that will likely go viral and make us feel more uncertain about the choices we make rather than feel empowered to make good ones. Rob is going to steer us towards the correct information, the real situation we're facing at mealtimes, and it's something he has done in his book, Unprocess Your Life, where he sets out practical steps and recipes to make your diet fresher, healthier, and delicious. Avoiding ultra-processed food doesn't mean changing your diet entirely. It's about food swaps and knowing what to avoid. And it's something Rob, who regularly writes for the Daily Mail, Women's Health, Hello, and Sunday Time Style magazine, can help us navigate. Welcome to the Emma Gunn Show, Rob. How are you? Good. What an intro. Oh, well, (laughs) apart from the fact that we've established that we're freezing because it's a very cold January day when we're connecting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's absolutely chatting here. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Fantastic. I'm glad. So I have been tentatively sort of dancing around this subject of ultra processed food for a little while now because it's something that I have seen coming in the distance and it's been pretty clear for a while now that it's going to be a hot topic in 2024 and already even when I've asked in the Facebook group even when I'm talking about friends it's sort of doing that thing where people are taking a deep breath before they talk about it so where from your perspective as a registered nutritionist as somebody who has written this book what is this landscape that we found ourselves in and why is it such a hot topic now? So I think that, well, basically, we've always known that diets that um, that are nutrient poor, that are high in saturated fat, high in sugar, we know that those types of diets, when that food's eaten in excess, are not good for our health, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, 
um, and also, you know, stroke, all sorts of other conditions. And we're all quite well aware, I think, of that messaging. I think why the UPF thing came to the forefront is because there was a lot of research coming out where they found that once you adjust all the findings for these nutrients in the diet, there still seemed to be an increased risk in these diseases. And that is where they thought that it's these additives in food that are possibly having an impact. And not just the additives in the food, but also like the way the food has changed. Its, its matrix has changed. It's become softer. It's become more palatable. It's become more desirable to eat. And the way that it's marketed, all that elements come into the bigger picture of, you know, these foods are having an adverse effect on our health. Um, so I guess the first thing is, I mean, do we just all have to accept that we have been eating ultra processed foods and that actually we have to take some effort, maybe not tons, but some to actually make the required changes so that we're not consuming these additives and these ultra processed foods, which are ultimately not great for our health? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think first of all, there's this danger that we start demonizing foods with this. And I think it's really important that we ha you have to understand that while that research is interesting, it's what's called observational research. So it's from a, a research perspective, there's still a lot more work needs to be done. We don't know what the specifics are of the specific um, additives, how much of them in, in what quantity or what full effect they have. So I think you have to be really realistic about this. So I think that it's good for you. We all know that eating food that's more unprocessed, cooking from scratch, all that kind of thing is better for us. So I think that you just have to focus more on what can I, what healthier food can I eat more of? And how can I make changes to my diet and better food choices rather than focusing too much on, I have to stop eating all of this food because you don't have to give up all UPFs, to be honest. There's nobody telling you give them all up. I'm not going to say for the rest of my life, I'm never going to have a bit of chocolate or a bit of cake at my niece's birthday or go out for a pizza. Of course, I'm going to do that. Right. So are you. So you just have to be really realistic about how you approach this and don't get hung up on it. Don't get obsessed with food labels. Just, you know, small changes to the way you currently eat, sensible changes. It does feel like one of those things that's going to become, and I use this word perhaps inelegantly here, but fashionable in the way that uh, as some of my background as a beauty journalist, clean beauty became very fashionable. But it also, uh, there were a lot of people believing things about beauty ingredients mm. that perhaps weren't entirely accurate. And it feels like this has the potential to go in that direction, not because there isn't any truth in ultra processed foods not being great for you, but because it's how that will then be spun by marketeers when it comes to food packaging. Yeah, I mean, the last thing you want for this to become is a new clean eating movement. And I know I've done some stuff in the press with my book and they've used the word clean. And it's a bit, it's made me cringe because it really isn't about clean eating. Because, I mean, what is the opposite to that? Rubby, Dead. dirty. It just sends out <laughs> the wrong messages, right? You want positive messaging around food all the time. Um, so I think there is a danger of that. And I think that... You know, there are going to be more, the more research is going to evolve and we might understand a bit more about specifics of what's in food. But I think that it's important that we don't get hung up on the ingredients too much, because yeah. like I said, we don't really know. There's a bit of research about certain emulsifiers in food linked to gut health, for example. There's a bits of research um, around artificial sweetness, that kind of stuff. But right now, we I don't think we know enough. And there's people that are doing different this just I think I'm part of a big jigsaw puzzle so what I'm trying to do is get people to cook from scratch and make better food choices other people are trying to lobby the food industry to make changes to reformulations to label their food effectively other people are doing research and I think that it will all evolve in a way but fingers crossed it evolves in the right way and we get sensible messaging the right advice filters down from the right people you know the the professionals that are there to give us the correct advice and that's why I wanted to speak to you on the show, actually, because as much as it's great to have all these people doing the very in-depth research or lobbying government and trying to change policy and all of those things, actually, what, what it comes down to is you, me, my most excellent listeners who are tuning in, standing in the supermarket or with their shopping online shopping app open and going, well, what can I, what can I buy? And I think this is the reason why I'm sort of being tentative is because 
It's one of those things that's just making us second guess ourselves. So mm. shall we start with what ultra processed foods are and how to identify them? Okay, so an ultra processed, there is, but funnily enough, there isn't actually an agreed definition of this. So you have the NOVA classification, which is based on assessing food by its degree of food processing, which is something we don't normally do. We assess it on nutrition. So the ultra processed foods are, you could generally think of them as foods that contain five or more ingredients, generally long ingredient lists. They're foods that you couldn't recreate in your kitchen because they contain um ingredients that are maybe synthesized in a lab or ingredients you just don't recognize you know the the emulsifiers the preservatives the, the thickeners the bulking agents all that kind of stuff and they tend to be they're almost always manufactured foods um and they'll generally have a long shelf life and like i said if you look at the back of the packet they're easily identifiable because you just won't recognize the e numbers or the long names you know your polycells your polysorbate 80 methyl cellulose all those kind of scientific names that none of us really know what they are that's what you see on the packet okay so that does make things a little bit easier actually and is, is it i mean when you say that i just think well is it not common sense is it just kind of like if it's a chicken breast then it's a chicken breast but if it's a a chicken sizzler or i don't know if that's a brand name because i haven't bought anything like that but i don't know if there is a but if there's a chicken sizzle steak i don't know southern fried country something you're probably yeah. the chicken breast is the chicken breast and the other thing is probably yeah. not like, yeah exactly anything that so you know anything that is in its most natural state is probably the best thing to choose but mm -hmm. that's kind of common sense right because that's all part of what we should be better choices that we should be making in terms of our health i mean also you know ultra processed foods they're quite identifiable because they normally have health claims slapped over them or they'll be very brightly colored and marketed in a certain way so they're quite identifiable like that um which in a way Can is, you give you know, me an example of that sorry when you say brightly colored and marketed in a certain way uh, you know like um snack bars for example oh, or okay. you'll have a drink that's you know rich in this or rich in that generally that you know those foods tend to be ultra processed and i think for me those that those particular snacky type foods are most desirable to teenagers and i think they you know, consume a lot more of these types of foods so you know it's really I think they're a, a really good audience to try and start with to get them to eat a better diet, if I'm going off track a little bit. But I think that there are certain audiences that probably need a bit more attention. And I'm, that's definitely one of them. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And actually, it was a conversation I was having with a friend about um, weaning her baby recently. Yeah. Um, and she, she was talking about, you know, getting broccoli into the child and this, that and the other and just how difficult it is. But she said, but is it any wonder because all I've been giving them for however long are these sweet, fruity purees? So if I start introducing broccoli, and I I can remember this, I'm sure you can remember being a kid and you being told off about not eating your vegetables, but they tasted like the ground. They tasted like mud. <laughs> they were revolting. Yeah. Because yeah. our because our palates were used to the sweeter, sugarier, more, and I guess like you are talking about teenagers. We did used to eat processed food and crisp and chocolate. Oh my god, I was brought up on it. I mean, I was literally brought up on canned chicken supreme with rice or cat or <laughs> or whatever it was. You know those Finder's pancakes and stuff, and you just ate tons of sweets, didn't you, as a kid as well? You know, and I think we're a similar age, so that era was just full of that type of food, yeah. and nobody it was a problem you know there's just like treat food and you ate as much as you want you drank what you want there wasn't really the messaging to tell you not to eat it as such as there is now all the awareness so. I it's funny you should say that because I remember I've already I, I mean I would have a Finder's crispy pancake again if it was offered to me but I probably think <laughs> it was disgusting but it brings back memories but a little while ago I had Michelle Visage on the podcast and we were talking about being of that generation where convenience food was came in because women for the first time were in the workplace. So this whole mm. idea of a woman being at home all day and preparing the evening meal had yeah. gone out of the window. So we did start drinking orange juice from concentrate TV dinners. And they we were so happy because they made eating so much easier. <laughs> and enjoyable for mm. us because obviously we love those foods to eat. Mm. I mean, it's why I'm keen to, you know, it's, it's the reason I wrote the cookbook was to give people some inspiration have a bit more fun in the kitchen as well like try and reconnect a bit more with food and you know i'll be honest there are some recipes that are more expensive to make than others and some that take a bit more time to make than others it's just about providing as much 
as I can for everybody. But, you know, trying to make like your own coconut milk to put in a curry, that was really interesting. And it's the same price as a can of coconut milk or your own tomato ketchup or making your own flatbreads or, or whatever it is. I just thought it'd be really interesting to have it all in in one place. So you can just have a bit of a play in the kitchen and think about how to make a few substitutions to some of the foods that you might regularly buy that are ultra processed. You know, it's not about setting out a, a designated plan. You know, this isn't an unprocessed your life plan. So you have to eat this, you have to eat that. It's, you know, small changes. Start by, you know, getting a bit interested in food in the kitchen. Do it with your kids, you know, just find a few dishes to change. Make yourself, um, make yourself. You might make your own chicken kiev instead of buying a chicken kiev or whatever it is. Just something, just make those small changes. Start cooking some real food. The way you're describing it now, I'm beginning to think that actually this book could have been called Just Reconnect Within the Kitchen. Or did, did, does it need yeah. to have ultra processed and or unprocessed in the title? Is that Could it have just been fall in love I with your food again? Yeah, possibly. I mean, I think that the ultra processed food, for me, that's almost just the driver to right. get people interested in making the changes. You know, it's going to attract attention from people. And that could be the one thing that people go, ah, that's interesting. I want to make a change to my diet and that's put my interest and that's the reason I want to do it. And it could have been, you know, it could have been when the whole thing about sugar came around. That could have sparked your interest and that could be the drive if you to make change. So I just wanted to pick up on that. And then, you know, the way the book is also um, laid out is also because I think people have a point during the day when they're most likely to reach for these foods, whether it's feeding the kids. Uh, for me, it was lunch because I never took my lunch to work and then I just just was buying all sorts of stuff to eat, which ended up being ultra processed. But, and I think that you can focus in on those specific moments when you reach for food that maybe is less healthy and make that your attention to make changes to your diet. So yeah, I could have called it reconnecting in the kitchen, <laughs> but the whole UPF thing gives it a nice angle for people to maybe just think about new ways of making healthy changes. Do you see what I mean? Um, Absolutely. And I think even not lingering on the ultra process element of it, I've talked on this podcast before about struggling with something resembling binge eating disorder. And in recovery, one of the biggest things was developing a relationship with the food in the kitchen. It sounds really daft, but because actually the food that I used to eat, the, the food that I used to crave, mm. you, I, it never sat, it, it was never satisfying, ever satisfying. I can tell you, I have worked my way to the bottom of many a grab bag of Doritos, many a Victoria <laughs> sponge, and I have not found the feeling of happiness or joy um, or fulfillment that I was looking for. And so my, so I sort of feel some sort of symmetry with this whole conversation, because I do know that in being able to have embarked on the recovery that I'm on, a huge part of it has been about getting back into the kitchen and cooking from scratch. Mm. And actually mm. thinking about what I'm feeding myself and not treating my stomach like a dumpster fire. Well, <laughs> um, I think as well, there is this, um, you feel good when you know that you're doing not the right thing, but when you're doing things moving in the right direction. You know, when you are starting to cook a few meals from scratch, you know, it doesn't feel great when you're eating foods that are high in salt, high in sugar. You start to develop a taste for those foods and then it becomes... And, you know, not a need for those foods. That sounds a bit dramatic. But you start to want more of those foods. Yes. And also those foods are very quickly digested in the body. So your blood sugar levels are going all over the place. You're never quite satiated. You know, when you get to the bottom of a bag of crisps that you've eaten really fast because they're so delicious and so palatable, you know, you're scrabbling around, but you're still hungry, right? So mm -hmm. when you start cooking food from scratch, you know, you've got higher amounts of fiber, protein. They're going to help fill you up between meals you've got all those other nutrients that are going to nourish your body within the food, which are really important as well, which often are, um, you know, are taken out of ultra-processed food through the processing. So just going back to whole food as much as possible to really nourish your body, keep you on an even keel, um, and, and just give you the, the mindset that you, you're doing the right thing, and that feels really good. It does, absolutely. And it doesn't, the, the weird thing for me was that when I started cooking from scratch, and I'm talking every day, it doesn't take nearly as much time as you think. No. So I'll be honest with you. There are, I've got this book. I probably make a few dishes a week and I batch cook from this book, two or three dishes. You know, 
other times I just chuck stuff together that's really quick. And I've got a whole thing in my head of foods that I can whip up. I mean, just before we spoke, I had some broccoli and potatoes left from last night's dinner and I had no time at all. So I chucked it in the pan with a couple of eggs that I'd whisked up. And it was just this sort of egg hash mixture with a bit of salt and pepper. You know, that's the kind of way that most of us are going to do it, right? And yeah. there's nothing wrong. Or, you know, I'll have pasta with a bit of chopped chicken, a bit of spinach and a tiny bit of pesto. You know, this, these are very, very quick ways of eating, a bit of egg fried rice. Now, that's how most of us realistically are going to put stuff together. But you still need to know what to do. Mm. Like, you still need inspiration and understand how to put those dishes together. A lot of people don't, even the simple stuff. And that's why they go and reach for something that's more convenient or they get a takeaway. And, and you know, you can whip this food up in less time, time than it takes for it to cook in the oven or, or to get it delivered. Um, but then, you know, I think it's nice to go a little bit further and cook something that is a bit more interesting to eat, that's got a bit more flavour, that is a lot more tasty. And yeah, mm. make, make a batch of it, stick it in the freezer, and then it's always there for you, uh, you know, when, you, when you're caught short again. I think we'll actually come on to Facebook questions because I actually yeah. got tons. But I want to just go back a little uh, to what you said at the beginning about the negative impact of these foods on our health. And I know you sort of painted in quite broad strokes, but mm. over a period of time, if you are constantly consuming um, UPFs, what, how might that show up? How might you know that you're actually being impacted by your diet in that way? Well, I think that's the thing that they still don't really know, because what they're showing is the outcomes are increased risk of um, increased disease risk. So that could be metabolic factors like increased blood pressure, um, imbalanced blood sugar levels, all that kind of stuff. I think it's quite hard to separate what's going on with the additives and what's going on with the actual other nutrients in the food. I think this is one of the criticisms of the studies. Mm. But, you know, when you look at the patterns of what's happening, then then they do seem to be these associations. I mean, a lot of the researchers focus on cardiovascular disease. Um, a lot of the researchers focused on obesity and weight gain. You know, there was a sort of one of the ground sort of breaking studies in this was to look at um, look at people and the way they ate and they gave them purely ultra processed food for two weeks, then purely um, unprocessed and they balanced the food that was available nutritionally so it was the same but people that ate the um, unprocessed the, the ultra processed diet consumed many more calories because mm. they were just consuming more of the food because it was so much easier to overeat yeah. so um, and obviously obesity is a disease but also a risk factor for many other diseases so that's quite a big one um you know, the stuff around the gut microbiome is really interesting. We know now that the gut is bedrock to pretty much everything to do with our health, right? So there is animal studies suggesting that certain emulsifiers, polysorbate 80 and then methyl cellulose, are maybe affecting the diversity of bacteria in our gut. And obviously, if you have a, if the diversity isn't great, then that's also can affect our health in many different ways. But again, you know, these are, they're animal studies so can we yet apply them to humans and they are none of them are really proven cause and effect yet so in terms of answering your question how you feel I mean if you look at what Chris Van Tellicum put himself through with that experiment of eating just up to processed food you know feeling tired uh, a lack of energy all those kind of typical things you think you would feel you know constipation all those kind of elements but in terms of where where the tipping point is to how rough you feel I don't think we know um but I think what, you know, you can't argue with the fact nobody's going to tell you that eating loads of ultra-processed foods is good for you, right? Even mm. if you're not talking about the additives, just the fact that they contain less fibre, more saturated fat, more salt, more sugar, all that kind of side to it. Um, so. Yeah, but I think with that said, and we talked about teenagers a little while ago, I think one of the reasons why my food issues became as sort of, um, became as bad as they did is I never really, I never really had a clear understanding of what feeding myself well felt like or looked like. Yeah. And so I, I, it's sort of a weird word to use, I suppose, but I think I felt entitled to eat junk because I had so many adverts and so much marketing and so much messaging. You only have to walk out of my apartment and go three bus stops away and you've seen three adverts for a fast food meal. Yeah. And I think that, sort of, that just gets so embedded 
And it is aimed at a younger audience, I think. And you get some better, well, I'm entitled to that, but not just that, but that's what a good meal looks like. It looks like a burger in a bun with chips and a fizzy drink. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's some areas we used to have thing called food deserts. And I can't remember off the top of my head now what the opposite of this is now that's now occurring. But it's when kids actually are bombed. Just, I think they're just flooded with um, ultra processed food or, or just unhealthy food. It's just the only thing that's available to them. And it's advertised. It's on the ticket of the bus that they've got, you know, get a free burger or a free drink yeah. with your burger, that kind of stuff. And it's really interesting. My niece said the other day, I said to her, talking to her about the food she eats and she's 18 she said well I'm a teenager this is just what we do this is how we eat and I thought it was so interesting I thought isn't that funny that you know that's just this assumption that I'm just going to eat like that because I'm a teenager and I you know it is really hard to get through to teens um but I think a lot of that a lot of the positive things you can do can start in the home and those habits as a family unit they will filter through mm -hmm. eventually but you know like you've said with how it was for you and your eating you've got to be really careful with the messaging because there's a lot of susceptible teenagers you know you can't go too strong with this kind of thing it has to be really positive messaging food swaps small changes let's try this for this yeah you know why don't you guys try cooking dinner one night or you know you also can't expect kids to make a healthy food choice if the only food that's available in the fridge is unhealthy snacks so you know, a few simple dishes. I've, I regularly cook with teenagers um, for parents to get me into cook with them or whatever with groups and just simple dishes like a homemade pot noodle or, you know, a flour tortilla. We make a little pizza with passata cheese and egg in the middle. It's so easy. And once they mm. know how to do that and you provide them with the ingredients, the chances are when they're peckish, they might give it a go if it only takes three or four minutes. So, I, yeah. And I think for younger people, um, obviously, above the legal age of drinking, when you can drink and not feel the after effects, you can probably eat UPFs and not feel the effects immediately because your systems are so robust and sort of recover incredibly quickly. It's maybe us talking about this so much because we are at that age where I don't know about you, but I have three pillows depending on what mood I'm in. And if I <laughs> sleep on the wrong one and my neck hurts the next morning, that's it, game over. So we're much more yeah. delicate little babies, uh, funnily enough, as we yeah, age. Yeah, I, I don't want to crawl in anymore. It's, you know, four in the morning with, you know, all the surrounded by chicken nuggets on my sofa. That's not kind of where I'm aiming for. But I think that, yeah, with kids, it's just so frustrating, isn't it? I think you, you, what it's a time in their life as well where it's so important what they eat, especially in terms of bone health and the habits and the attitudes to food that you have. That it's just, it's just really important that we try and get the messages through to them somehow. Yeah. Right, let's, because um, I want to make sure we get through all of these questions and there were quite a few. So let's go to the Facebook questions, but I'm going to be really, um, selfish and and lead with something that is close to my heart so i've talked about my food issues and recovery and one of the things that i do and really works for me is i prioritize protein in my diet and okay. because I, i'm definitely somebody who was uh drawn to carbohydrates and yeah. as, you know no yeah. carbohydrate is never enough but i don't always have the option of eating uh, a lean meat, a lean protein. So sometimes I'll have a protein bar and most days after a workout, I'll have a protein shake. And quite a few people have asked this in the Facebook group. They're like, well, I, I do the same as you, Emma, but now I'm really worried that the protein options I'm consuming are ultimately ultra processed and are bad for me. Do you have a stance on this? I do. So <clears throat> I think, so I also consume quite a lot of those foods because I work out a lot. And sometimes if I'm racing between the gym and a meeting, it's just not practical to try and make a tuna bagel or make a protein shake from scratch. Do you see what I mean? So I think you have to accept that there are like some, there's a there's some foods that we're just never going to cut out, right? They're really convenient. We can't do without them. But I think that if you can source, you know, if you are if you are having to go home after the gym instead of between meetings, you could try making your own shake at home. It's dead easy. Uh, just, you know, a bit of milk, whatever it is, soy milk, normal mix and fruit. You know, you'll get the same amount of protein. It's exactly the same, does exactly the same job. You could make your own protein bars when you're at home and have that as an option. Or you could, you know, you don't have to eat uh, that sweet protein food. You know, you could grab some bits of, um, I don't know, some, some bits of, 
cooked meat or if it depends what time of day it is, you get a couple of boiled eggs if it's in the morning, so buy those everywhere in the shop. If it's the afternoon, you could grab a bit of sushi with or, or time your workout to when you're having your lunch or your dinner. Do you see what I mean? So there, mm. there's ways, but don't get stressed out if 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 the UPF that you eat is a, a protein bar a day and, and you just can't do without that. You just focus on getting the rest of your diet uh healthier or focus on the other bits of your diet and i think what's important to flag there is that if you had not told me about upfs if we had not if that hadn't come up i would not have questioned the way that i was consuming my protein because i don't feel bad for it and i think that's an important thing to sort of slot in there is that Mm. if perhaps if i was saying to you oh god i feel really terrible like i do all this working out I'm eating like 120 grams of protein a day, but God, every time I have a bar, I feel sick. You'd be like, well, let's eliminate the bar. <laughs> or Yeah, yeah. That's so not the situation. Don't start feeling guilty about eating food in general. You know, I think it's not a healthy place to get to. And I think that's why it's really important that the messaging is done correctly around this whole UPF thing. You don't have to cut them all out of your diet. It's good to reduce them but you know especially for people that have nearly all of the food they eat is convenience food what i find often with doing my job as a nutritionist is the people that are the healthiest that have the healthiest diet that are most concerned about you know the food they're eating they're taking a supplement and they don't even need it that you know they already have a balanced diet they're worrying about the very tiny specifics of things that they're eating and you know you don't if if you're doing the best you can and that happens to be that's all you're eating a day or you have a protein shake. There's no reason to feel guilty about that whatsoever. It's not a healthy habit to get into. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, somebody has said that this is a very much very much a perfect topic because they would love and ap- appreciate a professional opinion on the other side of the generally demonized U- UPFs. And you mentioned it then because she's asking, can I enjoy some ultra processed foods and live a perfectly healthy life? Of course you can. Of course you can. We still don't even know what's going on with them. So I think it's... I think it's important that you focus on eating as much whole food as you can. Um, and yeah, if, if you, it, it's it's like they're sort of sometimes foods, most of these foods, because let's face it, what we're talking about here is mostly snacks, um, you know, the, the, the dinners out with the pizzas, the burgers, all that kind of stuff. You know, they're, you, if you're going to go and have them, then go out and enjoy them as well. You know, if it's, if your night out is having a pizza with your mates or you're going out for some, some other food, don't sit there like trying to reorganize with the chef how the food is cooked or anything like that. Just go out and enjoy your dinner. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just do the best you can in terms of, like I said, eating mostly mostly whole foods, unprocessed foods. So it's the way to be. It's focus on what you can do instead of what you think you should be giving up all the time. Exactly. You know? And yeah, that... more And that person also uh, put a link to an article that said that some ultra-processed foods are known to be good for our health and that's a world health organization back study we'll be right back after this short break that said that some ultra processed foods are known to be good for our health and that's a world health organization back study yeah actually that was a really interesting study and i think this is i've been meaning to write an article actually about things like bread because that seems to be one of the most topical things and you know it it does contain a lot of ingredients and it's very very soft because of the way they've added the emulsifiers and it's very easy to eat lots of it if it's white it's very quickly digested affects your your blood sugar levels but i think where i find this argument gets a little bit annoying is what is what is being suggested here as an alternative buy sourdough which is like four quid a a pop who what family is going to be spending 30 quid a week 35 pounds a week on bread cook your own i am an ambassador of cooking your own bed i think it's great but i totally understand that people are probably not going to be doing this every other day because it's just not it's just not what they're into so there has to be another solution you know so i think you can check the label for the least processed of two if you want to do that you could maybe, you know, choose a healthier type of bread that's nutritionally healthier, or you just, you know, you could explore cooking <laughs> types of bread that are very easy, like a pita bread that's just literally flour, yogurt, and you just, that's quite fun to do. Or you just resign yourself to the fact that, you know, this is just, I'm going to keep eating this bread because it's a main part of my diet and I just can't cut it out. It's just not possible. You know, I have sandwiches for lunch and that's the easiest thing for me to eat when I'm in a hurry. And like I said, we'll focus on, 
on something else. Because the thing is as well, there's people on very low incomes where they eat a lot of bread because that's how they get a lot of their nutrition. And bread is fortified with calcium, iron, B bits. And it's actually a really important source of iron and protein actually for a lot of people on low incomes. So you do run the risk with this argument of, you know, if you tell people not to eat bread and they cut it out, their diet could actually become nutritionally less uh, less dense because they've taken this food out. So there are lots of different angles to this argument. And I'm not trying to put myself out of business here with this book, but I think you need to be really, and this argument, but you do have to be really realistic about what's achievable mm -hmm. and put that in the context of, you know, I worked in public health, so I'm always trying to think about what would somebody do if they can't afford to do this or how would that work in different settings? So it just has to be really, really realistic and you have to do the best you can and work on the areas that you can make changes as opposed to worrying about the ones that you probably can't. Yeah. Um, this has come up a couple of times, but I think this is put so beautifully. It's just like, it would be good to know if like the majority of the population, you have already given your children all of the UPFs, what would be the most beneficial, say top five things to swap out the most and replace with in budget two for those families who may be on minimum wage? Um, be really interested to know but actually your book is packed full of this isn't it yeah so you know some of these foods i'll admit can be a bit more expensive than the original so i've got tomato ketchup and that can be more pricey because you're using real tomatoes right it feels like a bit of a middle class thing but then i made it the other day and i found you know these shops on the streets i don't always shop at the supermarket i quite like to shop around and sometimes if i pass one of those shops with the plastic containers of loads of veggies in you know it's the end of the day I found, you know, found when it was a couple of quid for a massive thing of tomatoes. And I thought, cool, I'm going to make some tomato ketchup, right? It's always in your head to try and do something or, or whatever it is. So the condiments, maybe not, but you could maybe swap breakfast cereal. You could try and make your own uh, oat granola. That's dead easy to make. It won't cost you much. It's just oats with a bit of honey. Uh, you could maybe, you know, add a little bit of nut butter or whatever it is. You could find a way to make that kind of thing. Um, I guess snacks as well. You could try and make homemade snacks instead of some of the shop-bought ones. Um, they can be a little cheaper than some of them. It depends which ones you're buying, if you're buying mm -hmm. the highly branded ones or the, the own brand. Um, baked beans are quite easy to make. Beans, that kind of stuff, are quite cheap to make. You can just use a can of cannellini beans and just add some chopped tomatoes, that kind of thing. That can be fun. Uh, yeah, I'm a bit stuck for ideas now. <laughs> There's tons, there are tons of recipes in the book, but I thought that was a really interesting yeah. one about oh, there are just easy swaps. And again, this yeah. is a really interesting point. Um, given that millions of us are eating it and seemingly living longer lives, I'd like to know if it's really that bad. Some of the things I've read about the ingredients are not very appealing, but I must admit, I haven't seen anything that scares me or worries me in the way that, for example, smoking would or eating mm. processed meats might. Yeah, I mean, I think it's because we just don't know what the real situation is, what the real landscape looks like in terms of disease. Like you yeah. said, at what point does it become particularly harmful? You know, with that UPF research, there seems to be a, um, an incremental risk of disease that goes with how much you eat. But we still don't we still don't really know. Um, so I definitely wouldn't put it on a par with smoking. There's a lot of research talked about the addictive qualities of these foods. Um, and that is quite interesting, you know, the palatability of them, the way that they're shaped, the way they're marketed, you know, they are quite addictive. Um, whether you can compare that to drugs and smoking and alcohol, I don't know. It depends on the person, doesn't it, really? Because there's a lot of research around food addiction. So, you know, it really depends on the person. Um, but, yeah, I think, I, I, I don't know, I wouldn't I wouldn't want a scaremonger like that. And I don't think you need to be afraid if you happen to eat. A UPF. It's not like you're going to get cancer. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Interestingly, the processed meat one is quite interesting because there's, if you look at the World Cancer Research Fund, there is a link, a quite strong link between overconsumption of that food and colorectal cancer. And essentially, that is an ultra-processed food. It's very, very highly processed. Um, so, you know, there are, but but a lot of this also boils down to just general advice about making healthy food choices mm -hmm. as well. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think. Uh <laughs> went off on a tangent I'm not sure I asked no no that's all good um somebody sent uh, uh pasted something from an article and it comes and uh I asked for clarification it comes back to what you just said about processed meats there's essentially these um a company that's making meat that's 3d printed you probably know more about this than I do 
but essentially yeah. um, manufactured meats as a sort of ethical form of meat, but they are obviously ultra processed. So there you've got two quite interesting positions, mm. haven't you? Like I want to avoid ultra processed foods, but I also don't want to eat animals. So it's almost yeah. like you have to make a choice in that situation. It kind of is. I mean, don't forget when the vegan diet came about, it, you know, the vegan diet traditionally, if you think about the retro vegan, it's very much really whole foods, cooking from scratch. You know, it's it's lentils, it's mung beans, it's gorgeous food. Um, you know, and then that did evolve after plant-based eating, that whole revolution. The food industry did respond because people were looking for convenience again. They were looking for, t I want to go plant-based, but I want it quick and I haven't mm -hmm. got time to food so you do there is research that shows that people vegans and you know especially in vegetarians they are eating the highest amount of upa because they're relying on these these products that are plant-based alternatives of meat foods so again i think it's just you know again it's like we like we said at the very beginning of this podcast it's kind of trying to reconnect with cooking and food and getting in the kitchen and trying to get out of the the convenience trap yeah. And finding really quick recipes that are dead easy to prepare. Um, you know, that's why I put a section in here on batch cooking. I know everyone's done batch cooking. It sounds really remedial, but it really, you know, you can create your own convenience by having these foods in stock. I've worked with parents and said, like, just have single serving batch food. So if you've got really hungry teenagers that are eating you up at house and home, they just chuck it in the microwave and they've got something healthy to eat. And you know, let's face it, when a teenager's hanging off the fridge door, all they're looking for is something quick and easy to eat. They will generally eat anything. So, you know, if it's there and you make them aware that it's there and there's something nice to eat, then, then yeah, you've created your own type of convenience. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm not a teenager anymore, but whenever I go back to my parents, my brother and I, we do hang off the fridge door and we <laughs> they're like... Someone will put a handful of afterweights in their mouth. Someone else will just like open the chocolate drawer and get out a lint bunny from Easter. Because that's the funny thing, isn't it? When you just kind of are there looking for something to just, I don't know, hit that spot. You Thanks just immediately you. go for that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, you just take anything that's in there. But if you have stuff in there that's quite pickable, but mm -hmm. then it takes you know, that again, it's all about being really organized. Um, and it's it's hard for parents with everything else they've got to do to then plan ahead and be very, very organized with that stuff. It takes a lot of thinking and preparation. And some parents are just completely frazzled. You know, they've got mm. loads of and they're trying to entertain the kids, feed the kids, do whatever they're trying to do. So, but I, you know, a bit of a bit of preparation, some quick meals, quick recipes, that kind of thing is, is probably not a bad show. Well, maybe you can help Daisy because she's asked another question about this saying, I'd really like to know how to manage this with kids. Mine are obsessed with food and none of it is particularly good for them. I really try and encourage them to eat healthy food, but also don't want to make a big deal out of it because that's also another minefield. Also, I'm knackered after a long day and sometimes chuck a pizza in the oven, would love some help. Basically, I think, I think she's worried that she's doing it wrong, but actually from what you're saying, she's doing the best that she can. Yeah, and maybe, okay, well, let's think about, you know, maybe just think about trying to improve the nutritional content of what you're doing to start with. If the pizza's the only option, then try and serve it with a couple of chopped veggies at the beginning. You know, kids like bits of cucumber, carrots and dips or whatever. Try starting with something like that so, you know, they're getting something healthy when they're actually ravaged hungry straight from school. And then the pizza, you know, you can choose a healthier pizza, put some veggies on top of it, extra peppers or whatever you want to do. I crack an egg in the middle is quite nice with the pizza. But... You know, I've got a recipe in my book with these sort of uh, tortilla pieces. Like I said before, they're dead easy. It's just a tortilla, bit of passata cheese, bit of an egg in the middle, and you've got a sort of UPF-free version of it that kids really enjoy. And you can get them to help you to make it, yeah. you know. And of course, that is another bit of effort, you know, when you just want to get dinner on the table. Um, but I think, yeah, maybe having some batch-cooked food to start with so you don't always have to cook every night. It's a good idea, even if it's just a spag bowl. And, um, you know, what do kids love? Spag bowl, roast dinners, macaroni cheese, all that kind of stuff. If you've got access to those kind of foods and you batch cook some of those types of foods, um, you know, maybe engage your kids in looking at healthier options. Um, you know, yeah, that could be a one. Um, yeah, and I think snacking's a really big one for kids. Just maybe try and focus on getting loads of healthy snacks in if you can. The one thing that kids just love, isn't it? They just want to snack all the time. Um, so yeah, try, trying to tackle that. Yeah, snacks. Like I said, there are so there's so many conversations going on in the group about this. So um, 
Yeah. But again, Heather's probably in line with what I was saying to you before we started recording, which is it's definitely the next trend, isn't it? I'd like some definitions that I'm still not sure I'm clear what the ultra part means, because also obviously there's ultra processed and processed. I've been really working hard on no food being bad and everything in moderation being fine. And I feel like another category to exclude feels quite hard. I'm also interested in the privilege of this discussion around UPF. It's often cheap. And if you don't have much money, it's what you can afford. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think that, well, in terms of classification, it's sort of, I just think of it as manufactured food, basically, I think is the easiest way to think of it. So, you know, the, the minimally processed food, if you want some definitions, they're the foods that are in their most natural state or have been maybe frozen or canned in water to preserve their shelf life. Then you've got like processed culinary ingredients. So these are butter, salt, honey, sugar, I guess you could kind of stick vinegar and maybe probably stick soy in there loosely but then when you make a when you then make a processed food you're just putting those two ingredients together so you could have canned tuna which is canned in brine you might have salted nuts you might have um um you might even have a ready meal that's prepared without any additives you know the kind of meals that you can buy that are made from scratch um mm. So they are why they're different. Like I said, the ultra processed part is when you've got in something added to it that you don't recognize that looks mm -hmm. very like in nature. And that's what it is. But again, don't start doing, um, you know, good and bad foods. We've talked about that a lot so far. If, yeah. if you eat ultra processed food, it's fine. And in terms of on a budget, you've got to find a repertoire of dishes that you're very comfortable in cooking because there are dishes that you can cook from scratch that are not gonna cost you lots of money. So it's finding that repertoire. And I was brought up eating the same meal every night of the week. Yes. And I think you're on a budget. I think that's probably quite a nice, and my own parents only did it because we didn't have any money. So I think it's a really maybe adopting that way of eating. Um, and you know, keep your leftovers. So if you've made a spag bowl with a bit of spaghetti, then, and there's some left, then keep it. You might be able to stretch that out for dinner the next day, add some lentils to it to make it a bit bigger. Kids won't notice red lentils and turn it into something else. Add a few yeah. beans, a bit of chili powder, and you've got then chili with rice, trying to stretch that food out a little bit. Um, and yeah, maybe that is just those set nights become different types of food. I think one pot, one pot food is really good if you're cooking on a budget, you know, and you can, you can bulk it out with cheap ingredients like pulses and grains and all that kind of stuff. So that's a good place to start. Um, and, and yeah, maybe just, yeah, I've got no other ideas, but soups and things like that. All those kind of foods are tasty, healthy, and probably quite um, budget friendly. I think you've picked up on something that, again, comes up in the next question, which is asking about the scale of bad, really bad, and what can be tolerated. So this does seem to be the thing that's coming through, which is, oh, do I need to be scared of this thing? Slash, I am scared of this thing. So how worried do I have to be? Do you know, it's, people are looking for quite black and white answers. And I think what is clear is that actually, when it comes to all that research, those answers don't exist at the moment. It's more about actually forget about trying to identify ultra processed foods, forget about knowing what this emulsifier in or what this add additive is. It's just, why don't you just take a step back towards your whole foods? And that way you're probably going to deal with the, um, you're going to remove yourself from the problem to a certain yeah. extent without actually having to become obsessed with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have, there is lots of different research out there. Some saying that, you know, some people are eating up to 80% of their diet is UPF and they have higher risk than somebody that's eating less. And then there's these incremental levels of risk depending on how much more you eat. And then there's other, I mean, you can't consolidate all that into like a specific scale because this yeah. is kind of the nature of the research really. And there's, there's more that needs to be done to get to that point. So you just got to try and do the best you can cooking homemade versions of the foods that you like or checking the food label when you go shopping to, because it might just be that you've got two ultra processed foods. You just need to find the better one of the two because it's got a little less ingredients, right? Use your mm -hmm. common sense. Um, you know, don't, I think a reiterate again, just don't get, don't get really obsessed with this. Take a really sensible approach yeah. uh, and don't get, you know, don't suddenly think, oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to get cancer. I'm going to get heart disease. You know, you could get that from eating a diet that's full of saturated fat and sugar, you know, so they're, they're just, it's you're still going to make healthy food choices, whether it's UPF or whether it's the nutrient quality of your diet, whatever it is, it's about healthy food choices. It's giving people another 
thing to worry about. That's my that's been my concern when I started hearing this conversation rumbling off in the distance. But not just, and that sounds really bad, but it does it does feel like oh gosh, you should be worried about this too now. But actually, yeah. um, I remember interviewing Dalton Wong, the personal trainer, and he gives obviously great fitness advice and really good nutrition advice. And he said the thing with food when it comes to diet, and obviously his remit was uh, not weight loss, that was part of it, but also like honing. He trained star the stars of Marvel films, so he liked honing really beautiful bodies. He was like, you know, before you, you know when you're about to put that food in your mouth, you know whether you should or not. And I think there's an element of truth with that here as well. Like, you know, just by the packet, by the feel of the food. I mean, I saw someone on TikTok last night. Um, they were eating a chicken, a chicken breast, but it was like one of those snazzy sizzler name thingamajigs. Yeah. And you could just tell by the way that it moved when she was cutting it, that that was not, that was very, very highly processed meat. And I personally would choose not to eat something like that now because I don't like the taste or the the feel or the texture of it and so I guess it's just kind of listening to that a bit more isn't it just make this like well obviously if I'm having this all the time it's probably not going to be great yeah and I think that that comes down to issues around behavior change yeah. so more about how can you change um your attitudes to food and the, the the way that you eat food choices that way you know behavior change is a is a topic that people are specialized in in terms of how to you know get people to change the way they eat, uh, psychologists or, you know, dietitians that specialize in that. So, but I think that, you know, I think that having some access to some sort of realistic guidance when it comes to this um, topic of, uh, of UPF, which is just another, you know, the guidance is really about sort of getting in, on board with sensible eating as well and doing that, removing the, trying to find your own convenience. Cause I know with this yes. book, it was budget, convenience, time, Right. What can people do just to try and get back on track to try and do this? And like I said to you before, it's UPF is kind of the driver. So if you're interested in UPF, then that is the thing that sparked your interest to then motivate you to try and make a change. And I think what I'm trying to do is tell people not to cut these foods out, but to look at ways to start cooking healthier mm -hmm. um, in the kitchen and reconnecting with food with that sort of, you know, UPF thing. Sort of, like I said, being the driver yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, as a registered nutritionist, tell me what what five things are always in your store cupboards. Ooh, uh, so I've always got can pulses. I'm gonna sound really boring now. So <laughs> can pulses. I've always got some wholemeal flour because I quite like making like breads and stuff, those kind of things. Um, I've always got a good granola on the go for breakfast. I've always got eggs in my cupboard. I think eggs are like hero food, like number one. You can cook anything with them. They're full of protein. They've got nearly every single nutrient that your body needs in some in some uh, very significant portions. You can make so many meals out of eggs on a budget. They're like totally, totally hero foods. Um, I, I agree with you. But then the other day I was on Instagram and somebody was on a big American health podcast, might have been um, Huberman, saying how there's no nutritional value with eggs and they are linked to terrible things. And I was like, you shut up, you shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> what planet is he living on no there was all this stuff around you know that old messaging around eggs and cholesterol and then raising your cholesterol levels but you know that was that type the way that your body deals with dietary cholesterol mm. is very different. it's not the same as when it develops in the body so yeah that's rubbish and uh you know there's so many nutrients in eggs they're they're very good for you uh yeah so that's that's four i've always got olive oil on go obviously I just use it for everything. I think it's really interesting that there's so many arguments about the type of oil that you should use. And I think it's so funny. I'm like, just use olive oil. It's really simple. There's loads of research. You know, it's the, the main part of the Mediterranean diet, which is shown to be super beneficial for many different areas of your health. And there's people debating about whether you can use rapeseed oil, whether you can use coconut oil. And I'm thinking, I don't know what the fuss is about, right? Just just stick to olive oil, <laughs> just cook with that. And, and it's, it's all this argument again about the little things. And I it's, just find it quite funny. It's mental, like a little while ago, you couldn't move for coconut oil. Do you remember everyone was, and now all of a sudden it's terrible for you. People were doing coconut, the oil pulling thing where they were swishing it around <laughs> yeah. their mouth. Like, Have you tried that? I uh, did actually, it just made oh. my jaw hurt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brush your teeth. I mean, yeah, and I think, 
there's different ways to use oils. Like I think coconut oil is really nice in uh, if you're making a curry or a stir fry, but I don't want all my food <laughs> to taste like coconut. Um, it's just another way that this food gets overhyped. Yeah. A lot of these ingredients and nutrition information, it can get very overhyped and then it becomes a trend. And then eventually it fizzles out or something, somebody then goes the other way, this sort of killer cure attitude towards it all. So again, whole foods, you know, ingredients like olive oil, really easy, no argument, they're good for your health, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, keep it simple. I would say as well, I mean, the book is, I mean, as much as you go into the detail about sort of setting out the landscape of where we are at the moment and why, as you say, UPF is this driver. I mean, the book is packed with, with recipes. Yeah, I had to, I didn't have a lot of time to put these recipes together either. So they are, um, yeah, so they had to be done in quite a hurry. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to provide lots of interesting food that I like to eat that is just like real normal food. Um, that, and, and try and find as much variation for everybody. And again, I wanted to make sure that I had those sections on back, batch cooking and freezing food, because I think that is a really important part of trying to get yourself organized, mm. trying to save time. Um, I also realized that I can't batch cook. That's why I did it. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? You just cook food, stick it in a container, stick it in the freezer. Yeah. But then I thought, you know, I made this all this tomato ketchup and I realized I didn't have anything to put it in. So you've got to have all the junk to start with. And then, you know, if you don't pack it properly, it gets all that frost on the top and then it doesn't taste as nice. So I just thought that's quite interesting to know, you know, the right way to do it. And, yeah. uh, and, and how long you can freeze food for. I wanted to put on every recipe how to freeze it and how long you can freeze it for. Because nobody gives you that information in cookbooks. So you never know what to do with it if you've got leftovers. So, And I don't know about you, but with batch cooking, I love to batch cook, but I can't eat the same meal four nights in a row. So I have to freeze <laughs> some of it so that it's a surprise when I look in the freezer one day. And so I, because yeah. I, I do enjoy the variation. I like you. I, I mean, I can't remember what they were now, but like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every single night there was a particular supper that my mum would put on the table. Yeah. Um, and it was just, like, it was just, it just ended up that every Friday it was the same meal, every Thursday it was the same meal. Um, yeah, we have liver quite a lot, which was never a good night. That was absolutely, did you have liver? Did your mum try and feed you some sort of gross grey liver? No, my mum, you even say liver and my mum makes a terrible face. That and rice pudding and she just goes, bleh. Um, so luckily I escaped, I escaped um, liver. <laughs> yeah, I quite liked not... it when I used to get it at school. I think because it was just different. Yeah, I mean, it's good for your health, but um, it's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not my cup of tea. When I go to Nando's, I, I do enjoy the chicken livers. Yeah, uh, there we go. I guess they're a bit more tender, so they're... <laughs> <laughs> also very, very hot. So, yeah. <laughs> um, just as a final thing as well, I wanted to flag this because I think it's relevant to other conversations I've had on the podcast about food. I would say that an observation I would make as someone who made small, uh, small changes steadily over time in the way that yeah. I ate... And it wasn't that I was eating junk necessarily before, but there were definitely elements of junk within it. But I think there was a sort of a period of turbulence as I did start to make things from scratch. I relied heavily on Ian Hayes' book, The Seven Day Basket. I I really rediscovered my love of food and cooking by via that particular book. But I, one of the things I had to adjust was portion control, which when you are eating a lot of processed food, you tend to, as we've discussed, you tend to overeat. So one of the things that I had to be very mindful of when I went into sort of more whole foods was stopping and sitting on my hands and waiting for it to feel satisfying because it doesn't happen. You you kind of do have to do that wait thing, don't you? Where you just sort of hang about. Yeah. It's going to, you're going to feel full in a second. Yeah, it takes a good 20 minutes for your body to register that you're kind of feeling full. And actually, one of the things they found with this whole UPF thing is it does affect the, the fact that the food is quite squishy all the time. It does affect, you know, you miss those satiety signals, which is quite, which is quite easy to eat. And eat it very quickly, much more quickly. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I've, I don't really do much of weight loss with clients, but when I have, and we've done batch, we've done portion control, you know, often I say, you know, put your portion of food in the bowl and then we'll put the rest of it in containers ready to put in. So it's already put away. Yeah. Um, and I think like you're saying, a bit of mindful eating, you know, understanding when you're hungry and when you're full is, is, is really important because nobody, 
it's really old fashioned to think you're going to count calories now. That's kind of out, right? You just, it's more about really good nutrient dense food. And it's about understanding, you know, when you're hungry, when you're full, when you've had enough, you know, put your knife and fork down between mouthfuls, chew your food properly, sit on your hands, whatever you, <laughs> whatever you think you've got to do. Um, but yeah, I think all those elements are, are really important to, to control how you eat. Yeah. And get to grips with portion sizes, especially. Yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, I'm really glad that we've had it because I think it would be very easy to go very big and deep on the science, but actually that doesn't help you, as we've talked about in the supermarket, make decisions or think about what goes on the table. And I think you've done a really brilliant job of making that feel a lot closer to be possible rather than further away, which I think sometimes these trends can make make it feel like your, your job's going to be even harder. And I think what you've done here is you've made... You've made it seem a lot easier. So thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. That's great. <laughs> um, the links to the book, which is a strong recommend for me. And like I said, there are some great recipes in there. Uh, the link to that will be in the show notes. And I will also link to Rob's Instagram and website. But um, for now, thanks so much for joining me on the show. Great. Thanks, Emma. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one.